This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Blue Monday podcast. My name is Mikey Pensy-Smith and joining me to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Ipswich's finest season of this century, it's a man who played in pretty much every minute of it, making his second appearance on Blue Monday. It's Matt Holland. Thanks for returning, Matt. No, absolute pleasure. It's always nice to talk about good times. So, uh, yeah, no problem at all. Lovely stuff. And it's over a year since you were last on, can you believe? Um, I think we're in the first lockdown at the time. Um, Still semi-lockdown. Yeah, yeah. At least we're out on the golf course now. Um, While on on the pitch, not much has changed at Ipswich since then, but off it, a fair amount has, right? Just a bit, yeah. Um, Hopefully we're in for an exciting summer. Uh, I know it's been a, a difficult few years and um, not where we want to be by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and this season seems again to have tailed off and, you know, it looks like promotion is a distant dream. So uh, roll on the summer, roll on the changes that we hope are going to happen um, and let's kick on again next year. That's the plan anyway. Excellent. And do you expect Paul Cook to be a success and, and indeed the owners? I guess it's harder to know if the owners are going to be a success. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. Obviously, you know, they're coming in with big promises and and said there's going to be changes. So hopefully that's the case and that there'll be money available in the summer. Um, I've always rated Paul Cook as a manager. Um, I've been, I I know that the results haven't followed since he he arrived that he would have liked. And um, I think he'd been very disappointed with that. Um, But hopefully when he has a a summer to, to bring in the players that he wants, then hopefully he can he can get a squad that's capable of, of getting promotion back to the championship at the very least. But I've always rated him as a manager and um, hope he's hope he's a big success. Excellent. Before, before we get on to talking about the 2000-2001 season, just going to throw a quick rumour at you. Apparently John McGreal might be coming in as um, part of his backroom staff or one of the assistant coaches, of course, a former teammate of yours. Would that be a, a, a decent move for the club, do you think? Saw that, yeah. I mean, great to get John back involved. He's a um, great character. Um, I've got to be honest, when I, when I played alongside John, never really expected him to become a manager, which he did, obviously, at, at Colchester. Um, it's quite a quiet character, really, in the dressing room. You, you know, yet he was 
strong character, but he was he was quite quiet with it as well. So didn't necessarily expect him to be a, a manager, but um, you know he did a decent job at Colchester, and you know he's he's um, someone that, that I think tactically and, and he's, he's a very good coach as well, and I think he'd be a good foil for for Paul Cook. So if he does come in, I'll, I'll be very pleased with that. Excellent. So with no further ado, let's go back in time, back to a time when Ipswich were very much a class act on and off the pitch. And after a glorious Wembley victory in the playoffs, you you were preparing for your first season as a Premier League footballer. Tony Mowbray had retired and become part of the coaching staff full time. Mick Stockwell had left for Colchester and one Manuel Thetis had left by mutual consent. Um, the incomings, the headlines were sort of Martin Royster came in on a permanent deal, as expected. John Scales signed on a free. And on the eve of the opening day, one Herman Ryderson signed for four million. First of all, was it a surprise that George Burley made so few changes? And secondly, how much of a boost was it to see a defender with top flight experience like Herman coming in? Well, I think it's always a difficult balancing act when a team gets promoted as a manager as to what you do. Uh, now, obviously, you want to try and keep faith with the players that have, have got you promoted as much as possible and, and try and give them an opportunity to play at the, the top level. Um, but at the same time, you also, I think, recognise that you probably need a bit of help as well. So it's a diff- difficult balancing act, I think, as a as a manager. Um, I think it's important that you do get people through the door. And, and Herman, I think the, the thing with George was that he always had a good eye for someone, um, you know, obviously, on the pitch and his, his ability on the pitch. But also his character and his character off the pitch, and Herman was another one that just fitted into it. Really, he was a he was a brilliant person, brilliant character to have about the place. Um, really, quite a lively, lively person, lively personality, and would run through a brick wall for you, you know. And, and I think when you've got people like that in the dressing room, then you've got a real chance. There was never a feeling of having superstars. In, in our dressing room. It was always about the collective and, and Herman just bought into that. So it was, yeah, a, a brilliant, uh, you know, brilliant dressing room that we had and, and Herman just added to it. Indeed he did. And he went straight into the team for the opening game of the season, which was Tottenham away. Uh, Spurs had the likes of Sol Campbell, Darren Anderton, Les Ferdinand and debutant Sergei Rebrov in their side. And we actually played pretty well, didn't we? We took an early lead through Mark Venus before losing 3-1. Was it a bit of a concern that having played a pretty good game, we ended up losing by a couple of goals? I think it was a good lesson for us, really. You know, I, I think that it was, we quickly realised that you, you can't make mistakes at, at that level because you'll get punished because we had played quite well and yet we come off the pitch losing 3-1. You're thinking, like, how's that happened? And, and it wouldn't have happened if we'd have played that well in the Championship, we'd have won the game 3-1. Uh, simple as that, but against top quality opposition, it, it just highlighted that if you make mistakes, then you're going to get punished for it. And you know, it gave us confidence. Don't get me wrong, that we could that we could play at that level because you're playing a you know a good team, a good atmosphere, and um, you know it was it was, a, it, it was a decent performance, but it was also a good lesson for us. I felt early on, indeed. And the first home game, of course, was Manchester United at home. A memorable night for everyone especially Fabian Wilness. What was it like going toe-to-toe against that famous Manchester United midfield? Because they all played that night. Beckham, Keane, Scholes and Giggs. It's not a bad midfield, is it? I mean, it's as good <laughs> as it gets, really, in the Premier League era. It absolutely is. It, they complement each other well. They've got a bit of everything. You know, pace, trickery, 
nastiness um it just had they just had absolutely everything so it's it's always good to test yourself against the very best and, and look it wasn't that long ago since they'd done the treble either so it was a it was a pretty special team and, and squad that they had um i actually got injured in the game gary neville smashed me on the you know i went to school with gary neville as well and he and he absolutely smashed me just before half time about the 40th minute and um i tried to come out for the second half and only lasted about five minutes um so it was, it was a tough one for me because I hadn't missed many games and, and I, I, I hated coming off and I, I, I was really gutted to come off. Um, but at the same time, it was, I think that was the moment that we, we started to believe that we, you know, this level we could, we could compete. Um, gave Fabian a bit of stick that night, I seem to remember, because I think his quote was, I had a dream. And um, yeah, we, we all had obviously all had dreams of, of playing in the Premier League and, and you know playing against the best and scoring in games like that. Um, but we get—I remember giving well, not just me, but I think everyone gave him a bit of stick for his, his comment to the press afterwards that he had a dream. Um, but it was—it was a you know a good marker for us really against the best team you know that that, that was around and the best that that you talk about that midfield. It did add it, have everything as well, but I was still. I remember being really gutted to have had to come off as well, and it had to be sort of someone I went to school with. <laughs> Incredible! But after a dip in the sea at Brightling Sea, you were passed fit for the home game against Sunderland the following Saturday, where a 19-year-old Titus Bramble announced himself with an incredible goal. Did he surprise you of how well he took to playing in the Premier League, especially as he'd actually spent much in the previous season injured? No, not really. I mean, Titus had a, had a lot of good attributes. You know, strong, fearless, good in the air, good on the ball. Um, what he sometimes was, uh, you know, guilty of, I guess, was was lacking concentration and, and you know, perhaps um, chasing things that he couldn't necessarily win. And, and when he had experience around him, he was always better. People who could talk him through the games and... Um, uh, I wasn't surprised because of his attributes. Really, He's, he was—he had everything to, to play um, that that position and that role. So, no, no, not not surprised at all. And um, it, it was actually, you know, like I say, for, for me personally, it was a it was a difficult start to the season. Actually, with that that knock I got against United, um, and that I remember the um, the fitness test. I think it lasted about. 10 seconds walking out in, onto the pitch and, and George said, can you sort of run? And I sort of had a little hobble and a jog and can you head a ball? I said, well, I can have a go and a little volley. And he went, yeah, you'll be all right. And I was like, yeah, all right, fine. I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, was, it was a difficult enough start for me, but no, Titus didn't, didn't surprise me at all because he was, um, no, he had all the attributes to be a top class player. He looks yeah. well there as well, didn't he? He does. Yeah. So yeah, that was, um, I think that was after the Arsenal game. I awarded him the man of the match award. So were you were you mascot or were you? Were I, I wasn't mascot. I that I dressed like that for every game. Um, the company my dad worked for were sponsors of that game um, against Arsenal. So yeah, I got to meet one of my heroes at the time, which is very exciting. Um, yeah, I think that kit. I'm not sure that one still fits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so four points from three games to start. That was followed by narrow defeats against Villa and Leicester before you really announced yourselves with three fantastic results. So listen to these results. A 2-1 win at Leeds, a 1-1 draw against Arsene Wenger's Arsenal and a 3-0 mauling away at Everton where the home fans applauded you off the pitch. 
the team was really clicking against top opposition, weren't they, Matt? And not only picking up results, but playing, it seemed, the exact same way that they had done in the previous seasons in Division 1. Yeah, I think we're just starting to, like you say, get get to the level there at that point. And I personally was as well, as I say, because after, after what I had that knock against United and I was sort of struggling, I was hobbling through games and, and not you know, not playing at my best. And um, that, that run of games, I just felt like oh, I was getting up to speed as well. But they they were good, and you know, good performances as well. Leeds, we deserve to win. Um, yeah. I think the, the, I mean, Marcus Stewart scored the, the goal against Arsenal. Um, and then what was the, was like, oh, Everton. I mean, John McGreal, I think John McGreal scored and, and Marcus yeah. got through that day. Yeah, yeah. Mar- Marcus's composure though, that, I mean, that was the thing that, that, I guess stood out for some of the some of the goals that he scored. The goal, the goal at Everton when he sort of sits everyone down. You, I'm sort of trying to kick kick the ball into the net. Go take your chance, take your chance, take your chance. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And he's thinking, but he just had that composure in front of goal. And um, so yeah, the, the Everton the Everton game was one where you know being applauded off the pitch by an opposition set of fans after you just beat them three nil. Normally three nil, the home team gets booed off and they're they're or oh, they've gone sort of 15 minutes before the end because it's you know they'd absolutely gutted at the, at the result particularly against a, a promoted team um but that was that was a really special moment you know to, to go there and, and be applauded off the pitch by the by the home sets set of fans was was pretty special brilliant yeah and this is uh, the table at this stage so Le- Leicester were actually top of the league um at this stage and we climbed into the top half um in ninth and we were all thinking wow like this this is brilliant. We're in the top half of the Premier League. Surely it can't get any better than this. Well, looking um, at that as well. I mean, looking at that, you know, we've beaten we've beaten Leeds um, away from home. We've drawn with United and Arsenal uh, at home as well. Yeah. So we'd had some good results against the top mm. side, which you know gives you gives you real confidence. I think. Indeed, it does, and yeah. So seven points from the next three games followed before our first defeat in almost two months, actually, away at Bobby Robson's Newcastle. How did he find playing against Kieran Dyer for the first time and how much should he develop since leaving town in 99? can't remember it that well, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. I think I, I think I was sort of given a more defensive job, I think, that day, slightly more defensive job and, and trying, trying to sort of look after Kieran because I know he, he was someone that was, that was obviously high, very highly rated by George. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't actually remember that, that game particularly well, if I'm honest. Um, I guess it's you know, selective memory, remember the good times, remember <laughs> the wins, but the defeats you sort of try and forget about as quickly as possible. So, um, yeah, I remember actually, I think my dad was at the game, and I remember my, my dad saying to me afterwards, um, how he, he, he couldn't tell who was who on the pitch because I think the, the, the away fans at Newcastle. Uh, we're right up in the gods, if you yeah. to remember. And the pitch was about half a mile away by the time you, you know, get up to your seat in, in, the, in the, um, the stand behind the goal. So, yeah, I remember him saying afterwards, he said, to be honest, I don't even know how the game went particularly, because I couldn't really see much from where I was. <laughs> yeah, th- this is when texting and mobile phones were quite new. And I, I wasn't at that game, but I remember hearing that um, fans that were there were having to text people that were listening on the radio to ask who'd scored. Yeah, I think it was a bit of it was- Marcus Stewart for us and Alan Shearer, I think, scored a couple for Newcastle. Oh, there's a um, shot. <laughs> yeah. So he probably remembers it. Um, so would you believe three wins on the spin followed? Um, first at home to Charlton 
and away at Coventry and Manchester City. And it's probably that win against Charlton, against your future employers that you most fondly remember, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, it's been a while coming, actually, my first goal in the, in the Premier League. It, it, um, I'd had a few um, near misses. I think I hit the post against Middlesbrough. Um, I'd scored in the, I scored in the cup, I think, against Millwall. Um, and I'd actually, I'd actually scored a really important goal for Ireland against Portugal. Um, before I actually scored in the Premier League, um, and but that, yeah, that was a that was a big moment for me. I think personally, obviously, getting off the mark, um, but also it was a big, big win for us as well because it was nil-nil. I think with about ten minutes to go, and although we, we ended up, I think we won the game two-nil in the end. Um, yeah. But I, I, I scored with about ten minutes to go, and, and which got us off and running. So that was a yeah, really good moment. Being a bit frustrated that um, I hadn't I hadn't scored up until that point, so it was. Um, Bit of a bit of weight off your shoulders a little bit. Excellent. And you twisted the blood of your Republic of Ireland teammate Mark Kinsella as well for yeah, for that's good measure. Nice. well because I think we I think if I'm right, we might have been going on international duty. I might have gone on international duty after that game. I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling as soon as we played the played the game. I think that that night or the next day, I was flying off to Ireland. So um, yeah, it's always nice to go and sort of rub it in with you because then Dean Kylie was in goal as well. So. <laughs> He, uh, both of them were there when, when when we met up, so it's nice to be able to talk about that and keep watching it. Brilliant. And I'll just bring up the the table at that stage. So we've climbed into because it was you had to finish in the top three for Champions League that season, um, and we're we're third behind fellow giants Arsenal and Manchester United. Uh, Leicester had dropped down to fourth, Liverpool down in fifth. Um, so yeah, things were starting to get a little bit exciting at this stage. Yeah, I, I, we, I don't think we were ever, well, I'll say, at that point thinking Champions League football, it, I remember George really, j- just every month we sort of set ourselves a bit of a target. We didn't look too far in advance. We didn't look sort of, you know, at that table and start thinking, oh, we're going to finish in the Champions League. We're going to, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Each month, I think we looked at the fixtures, we sort of, set a target actually of points i remember setting a target of points each month each month and um looking at the fixtures and george would say what he thinks we should get the players would sort of have a bit of a say well actually we think we should get this many points and we'd sort of come to a we'd come to a decision on on how many points we should try and get in that month that particular month um but that's that's how i remember that that's sort of how we did it that season we weren't looking too far ahead we just looked at uh, everyone says a game at a time but i think we were sort of looking at them in clumps three or four little game three or four or five games and, and in little clumps and seeing how many points we could get out of those. But um, yeah, it was obviously a, a brilliant start to the season for us. Yeah. So I'm interested to know if that, if that was an open discussion in the dressing room, was it, can you remember if any of the players are quite pragmatic about how many points we were going to get? Yeah. I could ima- can yeah. imagine Jamie Scowcroft maybe being yeah. a little bit more pragmatic than say Jim Jilton. Uh, yeah. Half gla- <laughs> glass, half full and glass, half empty. Yeah. There's a few <laughs> A few sort of different um, opinions, I guess, of, of how many points we might get. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a dressing room thing. It was it was a like a meeting room thing that we we used to. We, I remember sort of sitting in the in the it was at the ground, and we used to do it quite a bit. There were a few who would say, "Hang on a minute, I think we're sort of trying to punch above our weight here, and we perhaps only get three points this month." Or, um, but I think it was always good to to be ambitious, really, and set mm. yourself you know big targets and and try and 
So, well, actually, I think we can win there. I don't think, you know, there's nothing to fear. And so, um, yeah, I, I, like you say, though, there was a few there was a few in the dressing room who probably would have would have said, no, we won't get in there or we won't get in there. But um, Jim and Jill thought we'd win every game. There was, yeah, it was just... As long good. as he was playing. As long as Jim was playing, yeah. If Jim was playing, he thought we'd win every game and he'd be mad in the match. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just different characters, isn't it? <laughs> Lovely stuff. So... Actually, after that little run, we lost at home to Derby. I think Rory Delap scored for them. Um, but next up was many people's favourite game of the season, Matt, and some people's favourite game ever, people of a certain vintage. A 1-0 win away at Anfield, thanks to a superb goal from Marcus Stewart. Can you remember what was the game plan that day and how much of a buzz was it to go there and get a win against a brilliant Liverpool side who ended up winning about four cups that season? Yeah, I don't remember necessarily the game plan. I remember, again, Marcus just taking his time and gently rolling it in as usual, not you know, not being phased too much by, by what was going on. Um, you know, it was, it was, it's an iconic ground, isn't it, Anfield? And the this is Anfield sign as you're walking out the dressing room and all those things that come with it and the fans in the corner to your left as you walk out because I think the tunnel's quite quite close to that that corner as always close to that corner rather than the middle uh, Anfield um but I don't remember a particular game plan I, I think I think we were just in a position where it didn't matter who we were playing and where we were playing we felt confident and I think that's you know the key really you know not going anywhere and being overawed not being overawed by names or team sheets I think that's that was crucial at that stage as well because I think it's quite easy to go somewhere and, and you look at a team sheet and you look at some of the names you think oh, but at the end of the day it's just another you know another person you're up against and it's it's another challenge another fresh challenge I always used to like that challenge really of testing yourself against people who you're coming up against certain individuals I, I'm, I'm trying to think who would have played a, maybe was Gerard playing or was he probably a bit bit young maybe Gerard. Yeah, no, G- Gerard would have would have been around and Danny Murphy um yeah maybe Patrick Berger Lippmann and so, those type of players but that but they you know like, and, and we mentioned the United game earlier as well that you know coming up against Roy and you know, Scholes Nicky Butt people like that just testing yourself against the very best really it was always a challenge and and I think we just saw it like that really and, and because we were confident going into matches there was never any fear um mm. Of, of what they might do or or how they might play it was it was more about trying to impose ourselves as well and trying to you know pass the ball which we'd always done now that was one of george's big things in training we used to do a passing drill every day it used to drive players mad at times because it, it was the sort of quite monotonous and it was quite the same thing over and over again but it it, it was something he he'd done under bobby robson and and it was something that obviously paid huge dividends with that team um and he he just had a, a thing about us you know passing the ball passing the ball and and we used to do drills every day in training um so it was never a, it was never a case of of worrying too much about the opposition it was it was more about imposing ourselves and our game on on whoever it was that we came up against yeah i was going to ask did did burley's training evolve at all when we were in the premier league i was going to ask if if there was a little bit more attention to the opposition but by the sounds of it, it was it was just carry carry on as usual. I don't think so. I, I you know I, I think he had his ways, and, and that was you know that was it really. Um, so we we worked heavily on passing, 
drills, which we did a lot. We worked heavily on team shape as all, you know, something that they, they were the sort of two things that George really worked hard on. So I know we were quite a settled team anyway, really. Um, who knew each other's jobs, but we also, you know, you knew your own role, but you knew what everyone else was doing in the team as well. And that they were the two, they were the two things in training that, that George was really, you know, heavy on. Make sure that we could, we pass the ball and make sure our shape's good. And, and we did it. We did that a lot. Yeah, and it was mostly four four two, wasn't it? I think we played wing backs quite a bit at the start with um, you, Jim McGilton, and Jermaine Wright as a midfield three. Um, but then as the season went on, he seemed to have faith in the 4-4-2, didn't he? Yeah, I think, again, you know, different formations, different personnel. I guess the, the maybe early on he was looking at it thinking we needed to be a bit more pragmatic, be a bit more with three at the back. Um, but as, as the season went on and we started to win games, we, we became a bit more adventurous, I, I guess, in, our, in the way we played and a bit more open maybe some sometimes um but i i don't you know it's not necessarily always about formations and mm. it's it's about the players a lot of it as well and um I, I, you know i think we were we were capable we're well capable of playing both systems and and it, it wasn't a problem to change from one to the other from week to week that wasn't a problem either excellent and a, a real change of pace here but just going back to that liverpool victory um the level of football that I've always played, Matt, if you have a big victory like that, you have to make sure that you all go out for a few drinks after. Can you can you remember, did that happen much during that season? Do you have any big nights out, um, be it up north or in London or anything? I don't, do you know, I, I, 20 years ago. I, I <laughs> you don't remember your nights out from 20 years ago? <laughs> no, no, I don't, to be honest, no. Um we would have done because we were we were quite a, you know we were a close close group close unit. Um, I I mean I lived I lived in Colchester so perhaps didn't necessarily go out as much as as some of the others in, who lived more locally in Ipswich. Um, but, it, it, but yeah, we would have. I mean, we would have gone out as a, as a team and, and maybe even for dinner sometimes as well, mm. just to you know just to keep that closeness and it was the spirit about the group was always top class anyway um yeah i used to look after the fine money because you know if someone was late or whatever we used to have the fine kitty and so for, for nights out and maybe maybe trips away you know if, if we got knocked out of the cups or something we used to go to tenerife or wherever it might be for a, for a few days warm weather training i'd have the i'd have the kitty and um treat the lads to dinner and a few beers and stuff so we yeah we were always we were always um we're always pretty close really in that respect but i don't don't remember any specific nights out i mean i um i remember one 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 trip to tenerife i don't even i don't even know if it was this season or not but we were we're out for dinner and i had the fine kitty so i was i was paying the bill um, but as we were, as we were sort of ordering, I remember Mark Venus asking if anyone wanted to share the Chateau Briand, and sort of I I was I'm fine I'm, I'm I've gone fish or something and Tony Mowbray was next to us. But from the end of the table, David Johnson shouted out, "Don't worry about it, Vino." He said, "We've got loads of money in the kitty. Just order a bottle for yourself." <laughs> yeah, that that you can imagine the stick that he got for that, and that is a true story as well. Brilliant. <laughs> Great stuff. I was gonna, I was gonna ask who, who you took the most money off um, when you were fine master. Crikey! Well, I, uh, oh, blimey, who would have, who would have been late quite a lot? I'm trying to think. 
Um, Can I throw in a couple of names yeah, just go based it. on pure assumption? Um, yeah. I'm going to go with Martin Reusser and no. Marcus Stewart. No, I don't think they no. were. We were quite professional. I know you, <laughs> people get, have an idea of what people are like sometimes, but we were quite professional. I don't remember too many people being late. I, at Charlton, Carlton Cole was always late. I mean, he was <laughs> late every day. Mervyn Day used to be at the at the gate waiting for him with his hand out every day because he was late every single day. But at, at Ipswich, I don't remember anyone be, like desperately being um, late all the time. Don't remember. Yeah, it. I suppose it, a lot of it is it's a respect thing, isn't it? And yeah, well, I, I guess that's a lot of respect the, for the management. The, and that's the point of having a fine system, really, as well. And and, the, and perhaps the players policing it, you know, it, then it's, it becomes a bit more important, doesn't it? That you know, they, you don't let your teammates down as well. So, but also, it, it's important that someone is late so you can have a good night out in the city <laughs> as well. Great stuff. So, yeah, after that Liverpool victory, a three-one win at home to Southampton ensured we'd go to Old Trafford, and I think this was for the first time since our infamous nine-nil defeat. And we were third in the table. Um, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer scored twice in a 2 0 win for United. How did you find it on a personal level playing at Old Trafford as you were a childhood United fan? Indeed, you went to games there with your dad, didn't you? Yeah, I think my dad came to, the, to that game actually as well. Um, I, I don't know really. I, I, again, it's just it, it's another game really. I, you know, it doesn't matter who you who you supported or you know who your, your team was really. Once you came up against them, it was you against them and you have to win the game. Now, of course, you're up against the, the top quality side and it's not always possible. Um, I, the, I, I'm trying to think. I, I did get a man of the... Because they used to do... At Old Trafford, they used to do a man of the match for the away team as well as the home team. I think it might have been actually um, a different game. I think it might have been beat four. And Paul Scholes was their man of the match and I, I was our man of the match. And I was so embarrassed going in. I mean, it went into the, into the lounge with Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes picking up his award and they just won 4-0 and they, they and we got our away player of the match and, and I had to walk up and get this like bottle of champagne. I've still got the bottle actually, but I remember feeling pretty embarrassed that we'd been, been spanked 4-0 and, and picked up that award. Um, but no, because I think we've beaten United as well in the Cup, haven't we? My first season in 97. Do you remember Tariqo scored? Yeah, one, yeah. Brilliant night, that one. Yeah. Matthew scored as well. That's right. Great night at Portman Road and we beat them 2-0. So, it, uh, was it 2-0? I'm sure it was 2-0. 2-0, yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it didn't matter who I was who I was up against, really. Um, although, funnily enough, over the, my career, I didn't have a great record against against United. I think that 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 game there I've just mentioned was perhaps the only time I ever got a result against them. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that four 0 Matt. Um, that was the the following season. I'm sure one of our viewers and listeners might be able to help out with this, but I'm sure I read somewhere that Jim McGilton completed more passes than. The Manchester United midfielders did in that game, so we actually—I um, think we might have even edged the possession. But some, yeah, United had Andy Cole and yeah, um, yeah, Cole yeah Solskjaer. Yeah, it's absolutely oh, ludicrous yeah. front line. Obviously, ours was brilliant as well, but yeah, exactly. maybe we had maybe we had a couple of injuries that day. Who would you swap? I mean, didn't swap any of them, would you? No, definitely not. Um, so that defeat saw us drop to fifth, but we were soon back in third thanks to a comeback draw against Chelsea on Boxing Day and a 3-0 victory over Tottenham just four New Year's. I think Alan Armstrong had signed for Middlesbrough by this point and had already scored a couple, but a premiership goal 
had unfortunately eluded David Johnson. What was the feeling in the squad when he said that he was leaving in January? Because he'd been in the talisman in the team for so long, hadn't he? Yeah. Um, it'd been, it was tough for Jono, wasn't it? That that little spell, really. Because, I mean, coming off in the, in the playoff final as well, it was um, sort of a tough time for him, really. Uh, because he had, I mean, for, for a number of years, the goals that he scored and um, he was always so sharp and you know, brilliant for, for his size. What a great leap he had. I mean, he was uh, like, he bounced, didn't he, when he, when he mm. jumped ball um great pace and good finisher as well but he had a yeah a tough t- tough time really um it's difficult isn't it because you get frustrated at not playing you, you manager has to make those decisions as well um you know george had a, a good ability i think of of selling players to buy players as well over his over his time at the club you know even in the summers where we'd had a few near misses, it was a case of selling a player to bring a couple in or whatever it might be. And he always had that that good ability, really, to, to do that. Um, but it's tough, you know, it's, tough, it's always tough losing one of your teammates and, and particularly, you know, one who's been integral to a lot of the success that you've had. Um, so, yeah, it was, that, was, that was tough. Indeed it was. I think he'd scored in the Worthington Cup, which... I'll, I'll now touch upon. Obviously, we're mostly refre- reflecting on the Premier League season, but we still managed. We managed to make a well. We came very close to making a League Cup final, didn't we? So, pitch at Birmingham. Yeah. So we we won away at Arsenal on on route to the semi final. I think we beat Birmingham at home in the first leg one nil. But yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, beating away at Birmingham. Did we beat? Man- that was the real. Beat Man City as well on the way, didn't we? Did we beat? Yeah, that was a, ri- a game that had to be played. That's right. Twice, didn't it? Because of the the rain. Like, yeah, Graham Paul, Graham Paul was the manager. We'd gone one nil up, and and I remember the City players desperately trying to get it called off when we'd gone one nil up. And, yeah. uh, and then they equalised after about twenty five minutes, and as soon as they equalised, that was it. He got us off. <laughs> he had an excuse then to get us off. But while we were still, winning, I was in his ear saying, "No, no, you can't call it off. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> fine. We're one nil up." And, as soon as, as soon as City equalised, he got us off the pitch. Nightmare. But yeah, shows the character in the team that you managed to go up there again, go through it all again. I think it was lashing down with rain the second time round as well. And Mark Vina Mark scored. scored. Brilliant, brilliant memories. But yeah, it wasn't a good memory, the Birmingham City game. So what are your memories of... I know you, you say that you don't you don't necessarily remember... <laughs> all the small details but can you remember what the atmosphere was like that night and also the pitch and how much regret of a regret was it for you that we didn't manage to get to that Cardiff final yeah it was it was a um it's causes a regret crikey I mean get to the semi-finals once you got to that stage you, you, you know you want to go all the way um pitch was pitch was horrific I remember the pitch being awful it was like a mud bath really um they were very they, I mean, obviously they were up for it. Of course they were up for it. The, the crowd were up for it. You could sense there was a, you know, a good atmosphere about the place. Um, and they did, you know, they, they were very physical with us, absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we um, got turned over badly, really, didn't we? I think it was 4. Was it 4-1, maybe? 4-1 after extra time, I think, yeah. Yeah, so, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gutter, really, when you get that far and you've got to that stage. I mean, we, we did, obviously 
done it a few times in the playoffs where we got to the semi-finals and not quite got over the line as well. So it was, um, but it's heartbreaking when you get that far and then don't quite make the next step and get to the final. So, yeah, it was a big regret really that we didn't, we didn't, you know, hold on because we won the first leg as well, 1-0, I think. Yeah, we had at home. Yeah, Marcus Stewart. Yeah. yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash bluemonday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, though it does it does it frustrate you that Ipswich are so poor and show such a lack of respect for the cup competitions these days? Well, I think I you know I think that you can go hand in hand and have a good cup run as well as going well in the league as well. And, and some you know I think they go hand in hand. You know that confidence, that belief. If you're having a good run in the cup, that can you can transfer that form into the league at times as well. Um, I guess you're talking to someone who's a bit old school, really, in, in, the, in the respect of wanting to play every game. And um, nowadays, it tends to be more of a squad game. Players tend to get rotated, rested. Got to be honest, it'd frustrate the hell out of me if, if you know, manager wanted to leave me out of a cup game here and let there. And because it, there's nothing better than playing. That's what you, that's what you, you know, you're paid to do, really. That's what your, your job is, is to win matches and play matches. And so... When, you know, I, I remember George taking me to crew once. I think that might have been a cup game and um, left me in the stand. Didn't even make, I didn't even make the bench and I was absolutely gutted. I, I, not, I'd have probably gone anyway, even if I, you know, I was injured and I was, I was not involved. I'd have gone to the game anyway. It's not the fact that I'd gone to crew and not, you know, not been involved. It was the fact that I wasn't able to do anything from sat in the, in the stand, really. You know, you're kicking and heading every ball. You want the team to win. Um, but you can't affect it when you're in the stand. And, you know, if you're on the bench, at least you know then you might have a chance of coming on and doing something. So it, it, uh, you're talking to someone who's a bit old school in that in that way. And that uh, you know, if you fit and you, you know, just play, I mean, crikey, it's um, 
not like you're asking you to play 90 minutes every day of the week. It's mm. and you get you, you can get your rest, you can get your recuperation. And, and I think if you're if you're intelligent and you, you manage yourself and you manage your body well, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be an issue. Um, you know, I was I was someone that uh, I know I had a few knocks and bruises and had a few days off here and there from training, but the, a bit of that is managing your body as well, knowing that you need a day off training as well, and knowing that you know you, you perhaps need a little bit of a rest. But you pay to play games and you pay to win matches, and so I, I, yeah, I, I I don't get that really. I, I think if you know if you can't play 55, 60 games a season, I, I don't know why you can't. I mean, I asked Terry Butcher and people like that who played. At, Russell Osman, yeah, has been. A, Russell Osman did an interview with David Diamond for us a few few weeks ago, and yeah, he famously played sixty five games in a season for Ipswich. I think he played yeah. every minute. Yeah. yeah, well, I think I think that's probably about the most I played in a season. If you include internationals as well, I probably played maybe sixty five, something like that. But that's <laughs> it's. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't see any reason why you can't you you can't do that. Hmm. It's good. It's good. It's good to hear it from a good to hear it from a player because us fans, we we always say it, we're incredibly frustrated by the apparent lack of fitness fitness levels of some of the current squad. But we'll we'll move on from that and we'll go back in time again. And we actually had quite a slow start. Don't get me started <laughs> on that. Well, you, far away if you want, Matt. It's, no, it's, no, no, no. I, I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to upset anyone. Okay, so, so I do want you to upset someone. I want to, I want to hear you bury Ian Hart now. So we actually had quite a slow start to the two thousand to two thousand one in the league as we lost four in five. One of them a two one home defeat against Leeds, which featured a red card for Marcus Stewart that we're still very, very bitter about. Did you ever take up those theatrics with Ian Hart when you met up on Republic of Ireland duty? Because it was a it was a strong challenge from Stuart, but Hart, I think, still rolling out in front of the cobble stand now. I can't remember. I, <laughs> I wish I could remember it. Um, he, he... You know what, Matt? It's one of those. Now I when you watch it back now, you can kind of understand what is a red card, but at the time it just wasn't. And he rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled on the floor um, and got sent off. But, yeah, if you don't remember the incident, you're not going to remember knocking on his hotel room. I loved Harty. Him and Gary Kelly of Leeds, obviously, they they were related and both great characters. Um, He's absolute hammer of a foot, didn't he, Ian Hart? Absolute hammer of a foot. He used to wear, I I think he was about a size eight, and I think he used to wear size five boots. Oh really? Honestly, his feet were like crumpled up like that. <laughs> Unbelievable! He used to squeeze them in, but it was like a rocket of a foot he had. Yeah. Um, don't and scored some unbelievable goals as well mm. for Arsenal. Yeah. I don't remember the incident because people say these things to me. And I, there was there was one. Um, uh, everyone keeps saying to me about Van Nistelrooy diving for a penalty when we the year we went down. Yeah. Again, I don't like. I sort of scratch my head. It's amazing how my memory. Because you, because you're so focused on the game at times that you don't, you don't remember things that have happened in the game at times. I remember, yeah. like, I'd come in the dressing room afterwards sometimes, and and, and I'd look around and I go, "Oh, you came on, did you? I don't even remember you coming on." Like, it's <laughs> about 10, 15 minutes to go, and I'm thinking, "Christ, when did you come on?" Because even when the ball goes dead and you're making a sub, you're still trying to organise things. You're trying to yeah. organise people. You, you may be talking to George and all, like getting mm. direction for what's happening on the pitch. It's amazing when I came off the pitch sometimes how I had absolutely no idea of 
what's happened in the game. And, and people say, did you hear the crowd singing that? And I, I'm like, not really. The only time I guess I ever really heard the crowd was maybe when it was a corner and I was on the post maybe and you, you're quite close to the, 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 the crowd. Um, but generally, you don't really hear it. You, you focus and everything is so on the game and, and what's happening that you, my memory anyway, I mean, some people might, some people might be able to switch off and relax more, but for 90 minutes, my mind just is, is so tunnel visioned and um, concentrating on it that I, there's certain things in games and I think, can't remember that happening. Yeah, it's interesting. And I suppose back then as well, match of the day probably would have just shown the goals. They wouldn't have gone into great detail about that decision. Um, so it wouldn't have planted in your mind. But yeah, as you can tell, it's, the baggage that us fans are still carrying around with us. I'm going to watch it now. I'm going to, I'm going to come away from this. I'm going to look. I'm going to Google it. Have a look at it. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to dig that clip out for you on um, Twitter. I think so. That that ended up. Um, so that defeat was in a run where we also lost against uh, Arsenal away at Highbury, which featured probably the best individual performance I've ever seen live from a goalkeeper, as Richard Wright made a string of saves now. I'm not going to ask you if you remember these saves, um, but was he amongst the players you knew were going to be right at home in the top level? And ultimately, were you a little bit surprised that he didn't achieve more in the game after leaving town? Got in a move, didn't it? That that performance at, um, at Arsenal, he was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. He's unbelievable ability, Whitey. Um, and I, I think I am a little bit surprised that he, he, he didn't do more, really, and didn't didn't feature more regularly after he'd made you know the move from Ipswich um because even at Everton he had sort of spells in and out of the team as well um so I am a li little bit surprised and he made his England debut whilst at, at Ipswich as well didn't yeah. he um remember Jim McGilton used to take the mickey out of even for his debut because he only gave away two penalties he might have saved I think he saved one of them and um if we went on a way trip I mean, it was like stuck record really if we went on an away trip and we you know we look you're putting a, a video in to watch on the way up to a game somewhere and jim had always every week without fail let's put a comedy on let's put richard wright's england debut on <laughs> it's like a standing it's like a standing joke really but um he yeah he's, he was quality writing great great guy as well you know such a nice down-to-earth quiet really quiet um so i mean not not the brightest writer. He did. We used to play Who Wants to Be Millionaire, and he, he did well to get past the hundred pound question most of the time. So, <laughs> he, um, but he was he, yeah, he was a great lad, and I am a little bit surprised he didn't do a bit more. Yeah, so that that defeat at Hybrid, I think Thierry Henry came off the bench and scored in that game. So we, we're just ticking off these big names as we go. Um, that loss, we, yeah. So that after that one, we only lost twice more all season. So let me put my teeth back in. Um, you scored your second of the season in a 2-0 win over Everton before Martin Royser starred in a 3-1 win over Bradford. Why do you think it took Martin so long to make his mark in the Premier League after such an incredible end to the previous season? And yeah, just on that performance against Bradford, what are your memories of that individual performance from Royser? Remember him scoring a brilliant free kick. I think I think we're probably having a chat about who was going to take it. I think... I was probably arguing I should be taking it. Jim was probably arguing he was going to be taking it. Martin said, no, I'm having it. And then he scored. Uh, so I remember him scoring a wonderful free kick. I think with, with Martin, I mean, he had, 
unbelievable ability, really unbelievable ability. Um, but I, I think there was a case, not a, not a case of him not not necessarily doing his defensive work because he he wasn't that you know he, he would do that, um, but perhaps not as diligently as maybe some others in the team or, or other players. Um, and, and again, it's a it's a balancing act that you have to have as a manager. You know, you have to have people who are going to work hard. You have to have people who who um, you know a hundred percenters. But you also have to have a bit of sparkle and a bit of magic at times as well. And I think as players, you you understand that. Um, you know, I, I played with Decanio at Charlton, and he was someone that sprinkled magic. And and Martin had that ability as well. Um, but he had to sort of be a bit more patient and, and you know, have to, have to wait. He had to wait for his opportunities. Um, a lot of it came from the bench at times as well, which I know frustrated him, absolutely frustrated him. Um, I mean, some of the things he did in training, he, you know, some of the goals that he scored, he was a fabulous talent. I mean, crikey. If, I, if I'd had a quarter of his talent, I'd be delighted. He was an unbelievably, unbelievably gifted player. But we all got we've all got different attributes, and I think you know sometimes you know George felt that we needed to be a bit more workmanlike at times in games, and a bit more organised, and a bit more you know heart, hundred you know hundred percent if you like, and getting back into our shape. But I'd be the first to say you know you need a bit of magic as well. You need you need people, especially in tight games, to to do something that can turn a game, can win you a game. Um, and, and Martin was one of those. He had you know as I say real magic at times. Excellent. We can't talk about that win over Bradford without mentioning Horidison's famous celebration by diving into the North Stand. When did he realise that Mark Birchall got the final touch or did just nobody tell him? Not until after the game, I don't think. I don't think he, I think Mark Birchall was probably trying to tell him that he got it and her, I think Herman was sort of told him, no, it's my game. <laughs> don't even think about taking it away from me. Um, so I don't think he even realised until after the game. And then when the fine came through from the FA, because I think he got I think he got a two-grand fine or something for diving into the crowd. It was brilliant. I mean, it, it could only be Herman. It was a, the best celebration you've ever seen, diving into the crowd. Thought he'd scored. And then and then about three days later, he has the goal taken away by the dubious goals panel and a, and a letter comes through fining him two and a half grand or something from the FA. So it was, uh, yeah. But I, I loved Herman. It, 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 now that was that was just pure him, wasn't it? You know, that... That I mean, I said run through a brick wall. He, just absolute character he had. That um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but it was a great, great story though, isn't it? You know, thinking he had scored and then having it taken off. Brilliant, brilliant. It could only happen to Herman. So Chris, so we mentioned Mark Birch had been brought in. Chris Macon was then signed permanently uh, from Sunderland in another shrewd piece of business by George Burley. Looking back, just how impressive was his recruitment alongside David Sheepshanks in that first season up? He just got, he seemed to get every decision right, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I, I, I'll say, I mean, it, a lot of it was down to ability and, and the fact that, that these people could play, but a lot of it was down to the character of people as well, you know, because it, it would have been easy for someone to come in and, and upset it a little bit. And um, so he, he got the characters who just fitted in into the dressing room, into into that ethos and and just straight away fitted into what into what we were doing. Um so yeah, it was it was impressive and, and without spending fortunes really as well, which I think is is equally impressive really because you know it's easy to go out and, and get your checkbook out and, and and sign Thierry Henry and sign a, a Roy Keane or whoever it might be. Not that we would have been able to get them, but um it that's easy because you know 
what they're like. Uh, and but you know, sign some of the players that we did who were, I guess, not household names, if you like, and not you know, not the biggest names, but they fitted into our system, into our way of doing things, and into our dressing room, which was the most important thing. Yeah, excellent. And yeah, so a defeat at Villa. Um, was then followed by another Royce masterclass in a way in an away win at West Ham, um, before a frankly ridiculous purple patch in April. I don't know if you and you and the boys got round in a meeting and said, "Oh, we're going to go for twelve points." I think it was in April. What were the things? <laughs> um, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so it started with a three-nil win away at Southampton live on Sky. So Stewie Hattrick. Yeah. So did this performance for you encapsulate our whole season with goals, entertainment, flair and, of course, clinical finishing from Marcus Stewart as well? Yeah, that was that was one of our best performances, I think. One of our, one of our best performances. But it was. I think we were full of energy. We were a team that had great energy about us. Um, we played high tempo football, weren't afraid... I think, you know, for a team that did like to play, weren't afraid to go from back to front at times as well. You know, I think when you've got someone like Mark Venus, who's got that ability to, to play those longer balls forward as well. So we had it, we mixed our game up, I think, quite a bit. We obviously had the finishing of Stewie. I think Herman set one of the goals up, I seem to remember, at, at Southampton. Um, might be the flick header, I think, from, from yeah. Um so, so yeah, it probably it did probably encapsulate a, a lot of the good qualities that we that we had, and um, I think was it on Sky as well that game. Yeah, it was another another Sky game. Yeah, we seemed to be really good on Sky that season. Yeah, up until the Charlton game, which we'll get to in a bit. Okay, um, but yeah, so can, Matt, you're a pundit by trade. Um, you work for Talksport Premier League Productions, so you're quite often tasked with trying to work out what makes top players special. So I'm going to ask you, Marcus Stewart didn't have much pace. He wasn't particularly big and he didn't even have a super powerful shot. Why was he such a success that season against the best defenders in the land? What was it that made Marcus Stewart so special? Well, I, 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 always, think, I always think that Marcus's best attribute was his movement. He... Um, he didn't let he didn't let defenders see the back of his shirt. He was looking at the back of their shirt, if you like. Even if it was just a half a yard, a little drop. Even if you look back to the the playoff final goal that he scored, where he just goes half a yard behind the defender, so the defender has absolutely no idea where he is, and then gets across him to to get the header into the far corner. That that little bit of movement and cleverness about his game was his probably his best attribute. Um, he, he thought deeply about the game. He would talk to players in the team and how he wanted the ball, where he wanted the ball. He was, if he, he said, if I go, if I come short, I'm going to spin in behind. If I go long first, I'm going to come to feet. So he, he, he used to sort of get, make sure that his midfield and the service that he was getting was the right service that he wanted and that he needed for him to be successful. And, his composure in front of goal as well, because there's so many people who, who can get themselves into the positions. But once you get into the positions, you've got to be able to go from 100 mile an hour down to sort of five miles an hour, compose yourself before making you know that, that finishing touch. So 
whilst it, you know, as I say, there's lots of people get themselves into those positions. He's someone that had that ability to calm himself down. His heart rate would go down to 50 beats a minute. He just relaxed in front of goal. Some people go to pieces in front of goal. He relaxed in front of goal, knew what he wanted to do. A lot of his goals, he passed into the net. Um, he should have played for England. No question. That season, he, you know, and you looked at some of the people that were getting called up. It, it was a golden era. Don't get me wrong. It was wonderful strikers that England had and playing at the top. But for him to score 19 goals and not even get looked at, I think was a mistake. Mm. He should have, he should have had the opportunity to play for England. Mm. Yeah. You preach it, preaching to the converted here. I think Matt with the blue Monday crowd, um, yeah, re- real disappointment that that he didn't, and he and he was decent in the Premier League the next season as well, wasn't he? In in a team that struggled and obviously had his injury problems, but he still still scored a few goals then as well, didn't he? Yeah, he, he should have had a chance. As I say, he, he deserved an opportunity to even you know to go training, let the manager see him, let, because sometimes you know it, it takes that as well. It takes the manager to 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 see someone a bit closer, see them regularly in training, what things that they do, how they go about things. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think, he, I think he should have had a call up at, at the very least and had, a, and had the manager look at him. Hmm. Yep, I'm in, I'm in complete agreement there. So we then drew with our Champions League rivals, Liverpool. Um, that's an in- interesting sentence, isn't it, Switch fan now? And we strengthened our grip on third with three straight wins over Newcastle, Middlesbrough and Coventry. Um, so at this stage, the table's looking something like that. Um, so, yeah, we were third. Obviously, Liverpool had a couple of games in hand, but we had the points on the board. Um, just a, another fantastic little run of form, wasn't it? Alan Armstrong scoring that double away at Middlesbrough. Do you remember that one? Ish. Ish, yeah, I do remember that because obviously it's his, it, it, that's his hometown as well, Middlesbrough, isn't it? So mm. big one for him to go to go there and score a couple. It's nice looking at that table, isn't it? It's look, I'm just getting, getting goosebumps looking at that table. Seems <laughs> like an eternity ago, and it, and I guess in in lots of ways it is really twenty you know twenty years is a long time. Um, but it's it's nice looking at that and seeing some of the names below us as well. It's um, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I'd say six, six of the traditional giants in the top six um, for me. Um, we haven't mentioned your midfield partner, Jim Magilton, too much yet. Um, how much pleasure was he getting from proving to everyone that he was very much a Premier League player and a good one at that as he'd had to drop down to the first division um, from Sheffield Wednesday a couple of years earlier? Yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of um, the success that we had in the team was partnerships and... You know, two centre halves, fullback and wide player, two centre forwards, and and I guess in midfield as well. You, you, and the, and the, the base of a good partnership is when you complement each other well. That your attributes aren't the same. That you do things different, and um, as a pair, you cover all bases if you like. Jim had the famous saying of of let let the players play and let the runners run. And he, and he used to say to me, you're the runner. I'm the player. You, you do all my running and, and just give me the ball. And, you know, it, it worked between us because we were, we were different. We, you know, we didn't play the same at all. We had the same attitude and the same will to win and the same determination to be successful. Um, but on the pitch, we had totally different characteristics and between us, we, we were a good pair. 
Um, but Jim, Jim was brilliant. I mean, he demanded the ball the whole time, wanted it, even if he was marked, even if he wasn't playing particularly well. He never hid, always wanted it, always wanted to take responsibility, always wanted to try and affect the game, always wanted to try and impose himself. Um, but yeah, he was. It, it, it's a pleasure playing alongside him. Really, I mean, we, we um, sometimes you know, it just clicks between two people, and and you know, myself and Jim, I think, would both sort of say the same. Really, that we we had a good good partnership together, and we shouldn't forget like Jermaine Wright, and and you know, he was another one who was, I think, a, a vastly underrated player yeah. as well. You know, he didn't necessarily get the credit that he deserved because he was a fabulous footballer. So there's mm. other players who could play in that position as well, but obviously, I guess most people would remember myself and Jim mostly and and um we we did have a good partnership you certainly did so we'll just bring up um that that, that league table again because i'm going to ask you about the next game which was against charleston had the champions league started to be talked about at this stage in the dressing room and if so do you think it maybe had a bit of a negative effect or were we just a little bit unlucky on the night watching back the highlights at the time um this is this is what it was like being an, being an Ipswich fan at the time. I remember being really disappointed, thinking we might have to settle for UEFA for Cup after that one, which is just ludicrous, isn't it? But um, did, were you just a little bit unlucky on the night, or or had it maybe crept into the psyche a little bit that we were on the cusp of a Champions League spot? I don't think I don't think we did. I don't think we. I don't remember thinking Champions League. I don't think I, I don't seem to remember that ever being in our heads. It was, it, it was just trying to win games. I don't, I don't honestly remember us sort of getting carried away really by it and what we were doing and where we were going with it. I just, I, I just don't seem to remember that at all. Um, and I can't even remember the chart result. You, you know, you talked about the chart game. What, what happened? Oh, okay, yes, it was a two-two-one defeat. Um, Royce scored a, a a cross free kick, um, and I think we were away. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Svensson, Svensson scored early for them. Royce re-equalised and then Richard Rufus scored uh, the winner. And yeah, look, looking back at the highlights, we had loads of chances to to equalise and we're just a little bit unfortunate on the day, I think. What, was um, our last, what were our last two games? So the last two games, Matt, were Arby's. Manchester Manchester City at home was the last home game. And that, no. was, on the, that was the following Tuesday. And then on the following Saturday or Sunday, it was Derby. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that City game, Matt, because we had to win to keep our chances of finishing the Champions League alive. They had to win to keep their chances of staying up. Um, you scored the equaliser in that game. I think Gota maybe scored to open the scoring. You equalised. And then Martin Royce had popped up with a header late on, yeah. um, which which seemed ridiculous. How, how special was that night? It, as a fan, it, it was... A little bit of a flashback to the Bolton game in the playoffs, and that all of that late drama, packed house, really exciting end. Remember that being a big atmosphere, really good atmosphere. Um, in the build-up, I think Joe Royal had been talking about me as well, saying he, you know, how he wanted to sign me. It was ironic actually in, the, in them sort of <laughs> coming to Ipswich not long afterwards, saying how he, he tried to sign me or something, but I wasn't available. And um, so in the build-up, I remember Joe saying that, and then obviously. 
scored and, and helped set, you know helped send them down if you like. But I remember the atmosphere that night being really special, really really special. That that noise that evening was was incredible, um, and that yeah that was I guess keeping our our hopes alive. I mean we we still had to. Even if we'd won the last game though at Derby, I don't think we would have qualified, would we, for the Champions League? No, no. So it was to it was to keep it going into the final day, really. And and yeah, on the final day, I think Liverpool would have had to have lost or dropped points at Charlton and Leeds would have had to have lost, but they both ended up winning. That's right. Um, and yeah, only the top three went into the Champions League then. Um, but yeah, what it did mean was that we still had something to play for on that final day at Derby. Um, and that was a special day for me. That one, uh, I got on the. Were you mascot? I was, again, Matt. I wasn't mascot. No? That's just how I dressed for games. <laughs> Still do sometimes. Um, so I got on the pitch that day and scored against uh, Rami the Ram, um, the Derby mascot. Um, sent the keeper the wrong way. Celebrating in front of the town fans. So did they just? Well, how did you manage that? Did they just pick people out randomly? Pick, out? pick people out, and I suppose yeah, due to what I was wearing, maybe. That helps me out. But yeah, it was, it was fancy dress that day. Oh, that was the fancy dress. So I mentioned but, Derby earlier. That was the fancy dress day. Yeah, and my dad got and my yeah, my dad was dressed as a Viking, I think, and got, got on the local news. Um so yeah, big day for the Talk me through your penalty then. So so the goalkeeper is a, a giant ram with gloves on. And I think a couple of Derby kids had missed before me, and I just thought I'll give I'll give him the eyes. And then I tucked it bottom bottom left, I think. And then I was milking it in front of the Ipswich fans who right, cheered right. me. So yeah, that was as that was as close as I ever got, Matt, to scoring for Ipswich. Um, but yeah, let's <laughs> let's talk about that 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 feeling at the end, I suppose, because it, it ended one-one. Can you describe the feeling of pride at the end, celebrating in front of the Ipswich fans, knowing that you'd pulled off one of the most surprising Premier League campaigns by any team ever? Do you know, it, it was obviously a good feeling that the, the, the season had gone well and we'd done what we'd done. But actually, I remember feeling a bit gutted mm. going back to the dressing room. I remember feeling a bit gutted going back to the dressing room and thinking that we haven't qualified for that. Because I remember coming off thinking, like, what's happened? What, what are the results? And, you know, I, I guess hoping that, that they'd probably won. Because even if, you know, even if we'd, we'd have won, we still wouldn't have, we wouldn't have done it. Probably hoping that they'd won, knowing that we hadn't blown it by, by drawing the game. Um but I remember being a bit gutted actually that we hadn't sort of qualified for the for the Champions League because um, we'd had such a good season and, and we'd we'd been pushing for that for that position all season. I thought, so yeah, I I don't remember being overly jubilant in the dressing room. I think I, I remember being a bit bit gutted that we hadn't sort of quite got over the line and finished third. But I think we look back on a fantastic achievement this year. Um, it's been a, a great season to reach Europe in our first season back in the Premiership. Um, Finishing fifth is a great achievement and one we're very proud of. I mean, it's habits, and we've been working hard for, with the squad of players for the last, you know, five or six years. There is a belief. We, we encourage them to get the ball down and knock it about, uh, but there are qualities as well. But um, it's like anything; we've got to keep improving. Uh, they've been absolutely magnificent this season, but it's going to be a big challenge next. Look! Look at that that table. <laughs> Just have a look at it now. Yeah, we 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 love to see that now, wouldn't we? We'd love to see fifth place in League One, Matt. So <laughs> <laughs> we will, we will. Don't so, worry, we will. Believe me, believe me. We'll be back at some. So, point. Uh, Matt, was it? Uh, this is maybe me being a little bit sentimental, 
But was it extra special when you did when you did sort of when it did sink in that you'd finished fifth and you went away on your holiday a few days later? Did it feel extra special that you'd done it alongside the likes of Richard Wright, Wilness, Venus, Clapham, Magilton, Scoey, who'd all tasted so much disappointment alongside you in the playoffs before getting to the top flight? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, that that was the big ethos, really. And the, and the big thing for me was that we were a team. We weren't we weren't about individuals. We weren't about you know any of that. It, it, we we. It's nice when you've you've sort of gone on a journey. You've knocked on the door. We got close a number of times. We've had a lot of setbacks. I think throughout someone's career, throughout anyone's career, you're going to have more lows than you are highs. I, I don't care who you are, unless unless maybe you're, you're Ryan Giggs and Roy Keane, who's got however many trophies that they've got but generally throughout the course of your career you're going to have more setbacks and hurts than you hurting times than you are going to have good times um so to be able to have done that with that group of players with those people special friends you know we've we we had a a zoom um recently to celebrate 20 years of the, the Wembley you know got everyone involved in that to be able to to be able to do it with people that you got close to um that you trusted that that you take in the trenches with you absolutely every day of the week it, it makes it even extra special really um to be able to celebrate with a group of people that that were, were special people special special footballers but special people and i think that's the most important thing mm. and did any of them maybe the more underrated players like your jermaine wrights and jamie clapham's did any of those players surprise you by how well they stood up to the test of playing the Premier League, or did you feel they'll be good enough? Definitely, no. No one surprised me at all. No one surprised me. Um, we, we we're all good players. You're not, you you do not get to that level. You don't no. get to those that position by not being a good good player. Um, you've also got to have a good character to do it as well. Because I don't care what anyone says. There is pressure. There is pressure. On, on it there's pressure on being a football there's pressure on performing every week you know I, I mean you don't sort of there's not many jobs that you get assessed each week by 25,000 people and and given your opinion on um on every you know podcast or um you know online or on twitter or whatever it might be there's not many jobs that you have that that pressure to perform um you know it's it's a lot easier talking about the game now than it than it was playing um so no i think we had we had good players good personalities good characters who who, um dealt with the situation well indeed and you mentioned the the good players you also had a very good manager george burley was named the lma's manager of the year pipping his fellow scotsman sir alex ferguson see Burley was there with his right-hand man, Dale Roberts, and Tony Mowbray was in that coaching staff as well. Just how happy were you for George to to get that award after so many hard years graft as a yeah. Ipswich manager? Very, very pleased. I mean, it's always nice when your dad wins an award. <laughs> so the players used to say about George. Um, no, he's, he, he was... I think of all the managers I had, he was the one that... Um, worked hardest to improve me as an individual that that spent long on the training ground him and dale and mogger as well um spent long on the training ground to make me a better individual footballer because i i know i wasn't the most talented footballer that's ever walked the earth i wasn't the, the most gifted 
worked incredibly hard at my game and um yeah I, but there was always things I could improve on and there was bits of my game that George recognized needed to be better and he worked hard on improving certain aspects of my game um had a lot of faith in me uh and you know obviously to make me captain and all those things it was it, it, it he was a a brilliant coach brilliant guy and really pleased for him for Dale and Mogger, you know, obviously Dale sadly no, no longer with us, and um, but they were a great part. I, I, I go back to it partnerships, you know, me and Jim, George and Dale, just a great. They were just a great partnership. They complemented each other brilliantly. Um, so yeah, it was it was great that they were able to taste that success. Excellent. Yeah. So that was the two thousand two thousand one Premier League season. Can you believe that was twenty years ago, Matt? No. Scary, absolutely scary. Time, time's flown by, absolutely flown by. It's nice to be able to reflect on it, look back on it. I wish I could remember more of it. Um, so sorry if, if my memory doesn't serve me as well as it perhaps could have done, but it's um, yeah, nice to look back on it. Brilliant. And um, can, can we get a Blue Monday exclusive here? Are you available as a, as a free agent ahead of the next League One season? Yeah, I always got always got my boots. Mind you, I went to the gym yesterday, hurt my hamstring a little bit, so I'm a bit. I'm not going to be fit for Saturday, but need a, need a preseason, get preseason into the legs. Definitely need a preseason, crikey! Um, a few runs around Chantry Park. I'd, I'd absolutely love to be able to put my boots back on. I absolutely <laughs> would love to, um, if only, if only. Um, no, but we'll be back. Don't worry, we'll be back at some point. Excellent. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you're in, if you've enjoyed it, please hit the like button and make sure you're subscribing to our YouTube channel. Um, and in the comments, it would be nice for you to leave your your own personal highlight of that brilliant season that Matt's just talked us through. So yeah, thanks again, Matt. Um, thanks everyone for watching and listening. And um, hopefully, we'll have you on the show with Ipswich as a Championship club in the future, Matt. That'd be nice. Can't wait. <laughs> thanks for watching or listening to the blue monday podcast and thanks to those of you who have kindly supported the channel via acast or youtube donations you can follow us at the usual places on social media and don't forget to subscribe so that you get our new shows first it's the promotion running everyone is gathered round to watch the mcnuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction your mate's already been booked for double dipping but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points oh and there is the harry clark fist pump to celebrate order mcdelivery now on the mcdonald's app you in a participating restaurant this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network Talk sport. Powered by fans.